Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. praise and honor to Jesus, really, you guys. Jesus is moving in the nations, and what an honor that we get to be a part of it, that we get to know what he's doing, and we get to partner with him in it, and it is like the greatest honor of my life to be a part of this church family, to be a part of this with you guys, and going really with you. You know, many of you prayed, many of you supported uh, financially, and so you guys are just as much a part of this as me, so thank you so much. Um, today is a little bit different because I, I figured I'm going to give you testimonies of what God did in Cuba because, I mean, you're just as much part of our team. I want you to know what God did. And I also want to give thanks to Jesus for what he did. And then also, I just kind of wanted to share with you, I've been doing this now full time for two years, really focused on crusade evangelism and seeing God move in the nations. And I have learned enough to probably talk for a week straight. I don't know. But the things that I've learned, there are three key things I've learned to see God move in a powerful way. And I just want to share with you from my heart today those things with some examples of different, you know, on the field experiences that highlight that. And I'm going to use a lot of the word as well. So if you have your Bible app, go to more, go to events, find Encounter Church, and all the scriptures will be there. All that I'm going to say will be there. Um, if you want, there's also a paper outline. For those that speak in Spanish, you can go in the Bible app as well under events, and there'll be Encounter Church in Spanish, and it'll have everything in Spanish for you. All right? Who's excited to hear some testimonies? Yeah? And so the first thing I want to say is from the beginning, everything that we did there was a miracle. Like, really, this was historic. I had so many people, so many Cubans come to me and say, this is historic, like never before have we done anything like this. And so I don't just use historic to just sound cool, it's historic, we're making history, but we're really pioneering something, and I believe this is the beginning of something greater, but first off, it was a miracle that we got all of our supplies in the country. And so I have a picture of the supplies we brought in, and we had 3,000 Now That You're Saved books in Spanish to help lead people now that they've received Christ. Now what, right? And also connect them to the local church. We had 20,000 uh, cards for this, people who made decisions because we couldn't bring in 20,000 books. It was very difficult. But we brought in 20,000 pieces of paper to be sure we got people's information for follow-up. We brought in 20 Bibles, uh, 600 pins. We had Evangelism by Fire, 20 books of them to give to uh, local evangelistic leaders to pour into them, to train them. Because we're, we're believing we're training up evangelists in Cuba to win Cubans. You know, not just us going and preaching the gospel, but they can preach the gospel. They can transform their nation. And so we were able to bring all this in the country, and none of it was confiscated. And if you only knew how big of a deal that was, uh, you would be praising Jesus a lot more right now. Because this is amazing. <laughs> all right, so the next thing is I wanted to tell you, we were able to participate and 133, I believe, people getting baptized. Come on. This is incredible. Many times I'm on the field and we preach the gospel, we see people saved, but I never actually get to participate in baptisms. But this was like a highlight for me. And so there's another picture. Something that I love is whenever people who come, this is Gabriel and Jim, they were part of my team that came down and served. The boy that got baptized is Gabriel's son. And I have seen, even in Peru, 
uh, one of our team members' dad and stepmom got saved at our crusade. And now her whole family is coming to Christ since then with her yes to Jesus. And he's, she's pouring out, but he's, you know, moving in her family. And then here, Gabriel comes with his family, and both of his sons, for the first time, get baptized. How cool is that? Now, yes, praise Jesus. Also, what we did, because we couldn't do a big event, just to let you guys know more specifics, we did six different locations around Havana. Some of them were like an hour from another, literally. And so we hit the whole city, six locations. We had volunteers at each. And so here's a group of volunteers from one church. And then I have another group, another picture. Here's another uh, group of volunteers. And these guys went out three solid days to the streets. And they themselves, the Cubans, preached the gospel on the streets. And, and I want to tell you, most of the salvations we saw came from the streets. Not because we were there and we ministered. No, because the Cuban church went to the streets with the gospel. People got saved. So cool. And so the next one, we did get to go one time, uh, one day to the streets. The other day, we did baptisms, and then the other day in the morning, we actually did services on Sunday in the morning. So, but this is Gabriel and his son, and his son actually led this woman to the Lord, and her eyes were healed. She, she wasn't able to read before, and then she was able to totally read without glaze. She literally read something for them. And we saw many blind eyes open on this trip. It was just a thing that God was doing. You know, sometimes he, he just highlights a specific thing. You see him move in a certain area, and he was healing blind eyes just over and over and over, like every service. So praise God. Yeah. And the next, here is when Pastor Hunter had a word for the youth, and they, and they came to the front. He was like, there's no more playing around, Right. Like, God is calling you, and these youth responded, and God moved to the youth. And I think it was the first time the pastor said that something like that had been done, and the youth actually come up and respond. And God really touched these youth in a powerful way. But this also gives you a picture of one location. So there are people on the outside, people in the middle, and people on even the other side of that wall is full of people. Like, just now imagine there had six different locations. So then the next photo... Here's another location that we did. And so these were the services. We ended up holding 18 different services. Yeah, think about that. Six days, three services a day, so at the same exact time. This was no small effort, but God moved powerfully in these services. And so I want to share with you, we actually saw, guess how many people hear the gospel through the streets and the services? You have any guesses? 5,000 was a guess? 20,000 more. We saw nearly 26,000 people hear the gospel. Come on. Jesus. So cool. And you guys are a part of that. 26,000 people getting an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And guess how many actually we have those decision cards, documented decisions for Christ. Guess how many? Ten, oh, I Yes, in Jesus' name. No, we had 4,070 documented decisions for Christ. Come on. Yes. I can talk about the people, you know, talk about blind eyes being open, lame walking, cancer being healed, and I love it all. Deaf ears being open, right? I love it. That's all the power of God. And we saw 
these things happen, but the greatest miracle of all is those 4,070 individuals going from death to life. So incredible. And I want you guys to think about those people, even as you leave here today, and pray for them. You know, pray for them. Pray that God would continue to move in their lives and in their families, that it wouldn't stop with the one, but it, it would have a rippling effect in their families. It would have a rippling effect where they work, everywhere they go, that Christ would continue to be glorified and the gospel would continue to run in the nation. And so will you guys agree this week to pray for these people? Yeah? Come on. And then this is our team, and sorry, Pastor Hunter, you're not in it, but he missed the photo, but it's okay. He's there. Um... I want to say this happens not because of one person, right, but because of a team of people coming together in unity to see God move powerfully. And honestly, this doesn't even capture all the other locations that we did and the teams that went out on there, but this was the final night. We blessed the nation of Cuba with the flag. It was a powerful time, but I just wanted you to see it really is a team effort in unity for Christ. Yeah? which goes into my lessons from the field, all right? So I know, when I first started doing this uh, full-time two years ago, and I went to Africa, I helped with a crusade for a friend in Burundi for a couple weeks, and then I had a week that I took off and just rested in a hotel, which was such wisdom, and then I went for two months and served on the ground in Tanzania, Dar es Salaam, with another ministry on another crusade. And before I went... For the two months when I was in the hotel, God spoke this word to me, and it is something that has been so powerful in my life ever since, and what I believe is a key to seeing God move in a powerful way. Who wants to know what it is? Yeah? Well, it is the power of harmony. Unity. The power of harmony. And I want to read to you the scripture that God showed me in Genesis 11. It says this, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, this is the Tower of the Babel, right? They're, they're like united for something bad here, and then this is what God says. Now, what? Nothing. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. While the people are so united for something bad, but they're united in one, they have one language, nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. That, that was something the Lord said. When you unite and you have a people united, nothing can stop you. Right. Nothing. But then God did this. He said, come, let us go down and confuse their language, language that they may not understand one another's speech. And then the Lord told me this. He said, the number one tactic that the enemy is going to use is miscommunication. And he's going to use it to divide. And I felt like because the enemy saw God do this, divide through language, he was like, oh, this is how I divide. And he uses miscommunication to divide us as a body of Christ because he knows if we're united, nothing we propose to do will be withheld from us, Right? And so I went into this crusade with this kind of armed, and I decided I am going to over-communicate to everyone. I'm going to just communicate, communicate, communicate to all my teams that I'm over and everything, right? I'm just going to share Genesis 11 with them, share this word of the Lord, and we're going to communicate well. And then 
I want to tell you, I get there's miscommunication because cultural boundaries. I get there's miscommunication because of language differences, whatever. But my team had so many miscommunications, it was abnormal. It was even, like, not even amongst ourselves, but even, like, I would go to a meeting. I remember one meeting I was in with our intercessor leader, the director of the intercessor team, which I believe Pastor Caleb has talked a couple times now about the power of intercession. It's so important. And so I'm meeting with this leader, and the leader and my translator, they're just talking back and forth and back and forth. And I'm like, nothing's being translated to me. Like, what's so weird? So finally, after giving them a little bit of time, I said, hey, like, are you going to tell me what you guys are talking about? And my translator, who's from the nation, right? He's from there. He lives there. He looks at me and he goes, I can't understand a single thing she's saying. And so I just started praying, like, you know, Holy Spirit, help. Help bring understanding, bring clear communication. And then all of a sudden they were able to understand and we had a breakthrough in that meeting and our intercession grew from like six people to 300 in a week. It was, it was only a move of God, but we were held up because of miscommunication. It was wild. And then I had so many meetings with people coming to my hotel room and talking to me about their problems with other team members because of miscommunication. And I just looked and I was like, this is miscommunication. Like we all have the same heart, you're just misunderstanding. And do you know every person on the team, except one told me they wanted to leave and quit at one point. They, they were ready to pack their bags and leave because of offense through miscommunication. I'm telling you, the enemy comes in and he, he works, he plays with miscommunication, even if it's in the natural and then he plays on it. If you're insecure or if you are selfish ambition, you're trying for something, he'll play on that, right? And then he plays with your emotions with it, and he twists things, and all of a sudden you're all puffed up, right? And now there's offense between you and someone else that you're supposed to be on the same team for the kingdom of God, and then all of a sudden you want to quit. I mean, it happens. It's reality. Like, and, and you think, you see these people going and doing massive things for Jesus, and you think, oh, they're these great men and women of faith, and they are, and you might think that they don't struggle sometimes, but there's a war, and we have to recognize our fight isn't against flesh and blood, so if you're here today, and you're offended with someone in this room today, or that's part of our church, I want you to ask you humbly to lay it down, and recognize your enemy isn't that person. It doesn't take anointing to criticize someone. It takes anointing to prophesy God's truth into their life, to see them how God sees them. And I'm telling you, he's not tearing us down. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. Who are we listening to? And, and so we only see this stuff happen because of unity. And there's always, it's our biggest battle is harmony. Even within the local church, you see how the enemy for years has tried to divide the local church. And you hear about it. Oh, man, when you start trying to unite people... Then you, oh, we don't work together in this city, right? Oh, no, we don't do that here. And I'm like, well, you're going to do that here, <laughs> right? This is God's heart. Like, can, can we, for the sake of the gospel, unite and humble ourselves and push the kingdom of God forward instead of being offended with one another? And we see a lot of times God bring reconciliation to relationships, and it's really a work of the Spirit, but it is powerful, I'm telling you guys. In Psalm 133, it says, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. for harmony. harmony is as precious 
as the anointing oil, as the what? Anointing oil. We want the anointing that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountain of Zion. And there the Lord has what? Pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. There is a blessing that the Lord commands when we're in unity. Let's not miss out on that. And I guarantee you, I don't know what all of you are going through today, but I guarantee you someone in here, or maybe many of us, have been dealing with something that's trying to keep us from being united in the body. And even if you're watching online or hearing this later, like, whatever that is, let the Holy Spirit reveal it and remove it from your life and from your heart. And the Lord commands a blessing for unity. And I want to say this. So harmony commands a blessing was one point, my next point. And then Jesus' final prayer is that we would be one, and through our unity, the world would know the Father sent Jesus and had loved them as he loved Jesus. So unity is so important if we're trying to share the gospel and trying to expand the kingdom of God. Because let's read in John 17. Jesus' final prayer, right? He says, I do not pray for these alone. He just prayed for his disciples. I do not pray for only my disciples I have now, right? But also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that what? The world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are, one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, you, you catch a theme here, yeah, one, and that the world may know that you have sent me. How will the world know that, that, that the Father sent the Son? By us being one, right? And that, that the Father had loved them, as you have loved me, as he loved Jesus. I'm telling you, the enemy is after harmony. He's after it. And we have to know that. And we have to guard up against that. And we have to love one another. Or else, how will the world know? How? Another thing that I learned was grace flows to the humble and God resists the proud. And what is Grace. Grace is the desire and ability to do the will of God. So how do you have the desire and ability to do the will of God if you're proud? You don't. Only when you're humble. Oh, wow, I actually went into my next point here. Yeah, so my next one is we can't even work together in unity without humility. So the power of humility and that is because we have to humble ourselves and do nothing in selfish ambition. Do nothing in selfish ambition. You know, I saw something the other day. It's, it was in James 13. It's not on, on the screen. But James 13 says where envy and selfish ambition are, are all kinds of disorder and all kinds of evil. Whew. Sharp words. Nothing in selfish ambition. We humble ourselves. And so we can't have harmony and unity without humility. 
and then grace flows through the humble and God resists the proud. And so if you feel like you're being resisted, if you feel like the grace is dried up in your life, which I've been there. I'm not saying I walk in this stuff perfectly. I'm saying these are things I've learned, and then the Holy Spirit checks me on. I'm like, hey, you know, you're feeling the grace has lifted. Well, it's because you're not being dependent on me. You're trying to do things in your own, or you're being, becoming proud, right? Like, just go low. Lower still is like a motto of my life. Lower still. Because humility, when we go low, grace flows through us. The desire and ability to do the will of God flows in our life. And there was an example of someone in Cuba. Actually, we had so many miscommunications the first day. It was crazy, like all day long, not even just at night, but it was like all day. And a couple of the miscommunications was, was um, two people were told that they were going to minister that we had not planned for them to minister. Like they weren't part of my team that I brought, and it was just the local team got confused or whatever happened. And on the way to the event... Some local leader went to another person and said, hey, you're going to preach the gospel tonight. And he was like, I am? And I mean, and this guy has been used by God, like, powerfully, right? And so he could, literally, and God would move. But that wasn't the plan. And so thankfully, he humbled himself. He came to me. He was like, hey, listen, I know that this is, like, your guys' event, and I'm here to serve. I'll do it, but, like, this is what they told me, and I thought I was just going to minister in the crowd. And I was like, oh, no, yeah, like, she, this evangelist who came here from the Cayman Islands is going to preach tonight in your church, you know what I mean? And you're supporting her. And he's like, okay, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Well, at another location, the same thing happened, except uh, someone told another person that they were going to minister during the time of healing. And this person also, man, they've been used by God powerfully, crazy, radical, great testimony. He really is, he's operated in the power of God. And when the lead evangelist was like, hey, like I, I literally was told something different. I, told, I was told I was going to lead the whole night, which he was. Um, Anyways, the other guy got offended and proud, and he stormed out of the church. And then my, my guy was like, hey, I'll share it with you. You know what I mean? Like, we can do this together. He, he called for him to come help, and he refused. And let me tell you something. Because of his proudness, right, pride in his life, he ended up missing out on the rest of the time of the crusade. And it wasn't because we didn't want to let him participate or help or be used by God. It was literally because he got so offended in this moment because he's someone, right? I mean, this guy has a doctorate in theology. He's been all over the world teaching pastors and leaders and ministering. And he, I don't know, let pride rise up, which can happen to all of us. I'm not saying I'm better than him, but I'm saying in the moment he had a choice to humble himself and go low, and he could have been used by God later, or he could be proud and be totally resisted by God, which he, which he was. And so I saw two things. I saw one guy who we ended up letting him do part of the service the next two nights. And he was, like, used by God powerfully. It was amazing. We worked together in harmony. It was, like, really glorious and then I saw the guy who didn't go low and just totally resisted by God and he was in his room the rest of the time so we have an opportunity to go low we have an opportunity to disqualify ourselves or we could go low and stay in with what God's doing and so I say go low yeah also humility is recognizing your need for him Listen, like, no one doing this says they can do it, right? Everyone doing this says, God, only you can do this. Only you can do this. You know, 
it says this in John 15, 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And then it says, for without me, you can do nothing. You can do a little? No, you can do nothing. When we realize that we literally, I can't even breathe without God, right? When we realize our total dependence on him, that's part of humility and that's when God can move. That's when the grace flows in your life. That's when the power of God can move in your life. That's when you can bear fruit. Why? Because you're staying in him, in the vine, and you're not out here on your own drying up. And so we have to live with this mentality that we can do nothing apart from him. But with him, we can do all things. Without him, we can do nothing. Big difference, right? And so that is something that really impacted me from the Cuban church is that I would go to the house meetings and the leaders would say, we need the presence of Jesus before anything, right? So we're going to worship because we just need Jesus. We need to meet with Jesus. And so we would worship and the manifest presence of Jesus would come because they knew they could do nothing without him. He was like it for them. And then we would give a word and then we, it was mandatory, right? Like they all expected it everyone would be ministered to because they needed Jesus. You do an altar call in Cuba, full. Why? They know their need of Jesus. We can't do anything without Jesus. That's part of humility, right? Do an altar call in America, how many people come forward? I don't know, but like where is our humility to recognize our need for him? Always, no matter how, how great it may seem we're doing, we need Jesus more. We need Jesus more. And so that goes into my next point of hunger, the power of hunger. What I've noticed in the nations is the people are hungry for God. They're hungry for more. And you know, there's a scripture that says in Matthew 5, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I heard years ago a guy say that gift is the best hunger anyone could get from God, the gift of hunger. It's the best gift. It keeps you going for more of him. And then he fills you. It keeps you going for more, no matter if things are great in your life, no matter if things are hard in your life. And the thing is, is in the places that I go, things are really hard for people. And so they recognize their need for Jesus. Right, where sometimes things may not be that hard for us, and we don't recognize our desperate need for Jesus. And we fill ourselves with food. We comfort ourselves with TV and entertainment and different things instead of recognizing that those things temporarily satisfy ourselves. But what if we got into a silent room with Jesus and was quiet, and then I guarantee you, if you haven't done it before, you get into a room by yourself and you get quiet and you'll realize how just chaotic your inner side is, like your soul is. Because the only thing that satisfies your soul is Jesus. You were created for Jesus. He is the one who can satisfy you. And so the hunger is something that is so powerful. You know, there was a woman in Mexico that came to our crusade. She actually came from Texas because she heard about our crusade. And she was so desperate 
to want to live again. She was so depressed. She had lost her son um, months before, and she couldn't get out of bed, and she heard about our event. I don't know how, in Nuevo Casas Grandes, Texas. Anyway, she heard about our event, and she came because she, we, we were saying, if, if you're depressed, if you need new life, come. You know what I mean? If you're sick and you need healing, come. Like, you're going to meet Jesus here, and he's going to touch you. And so somehow she heard that, and she drove from Texas down to Nuevo Casas Grandes, and she came to the first night of the crusade, totally changed. She was one of the first to testify that she finally wanted to live again, that God touched her, that she came for a miracle, and Jesus touched her. She was hungry. She was hungry for Jesus. She was hungry for new life, you know? We see that with even a woman who she was so desperate because she was sick. She had went to a witch doctor. This was in Mexico, too, last June. And the, she only got worse. She had pain all in her body. And it was a night Pastor Hunter preached. And she came because she needed healing. She was desperate for healing. She was hungry to be healed. And she received salvation. She heard the gospel for the first time. She received salvation. And when she received Christ, she was healed. Yeah, but she was hungry. She came hungry. She came believing she was going to receive something. And it reminds me of the woman with the issue of blood. And the woman with the issue of blood, it says, let's read it actually in Luke 8, 43 to 48. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who spent how much? All. She spent all her livelihood. Can you imagine spending everything that you had on physicians? And she could not be healed by any. One of them says she actually grew worse. And then it came from behind. Oh, and could not be healed by any. Came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow stopped. So Jesus is going to the house of a synagogue leader. And he's surrounded by people. And he's going because this synagogue leader's daughter is sick, dying, like deathly sick. And at the time, there's a lot of controversy about Jesus within the synagogues, right? Like the Jewish leaders are not liking Jesus. But this man was so desperate for his daughter to be healed. He's like, Jesus, come. Like, who cares about the rest of it? Just come touch my daughter, right? And he's surrounded. There's a ton of people around him going to see a miracle, right? They're with Jesus, following Jesus. And this woman who'd spent everything she had on doctors to get better hears that Jesus is there and she pushes her way through a crowd think about 12 years she's been separated from the church because you can't go in with an issue of blood you're unclean she's been an outcast for 12 years do you know that means she probably hadn't had a hug from her mom in 12 years or from anyone no one could touch her she's unclean outcast 12 years grew worse I cannot imagine and she hears about Jesus he heals the sick he raises the dead. He calms the storms, even the winds and the waves obey him. This is her only hope. She was hungry for Jesus. She was hungry to touch him and receive healing. And she presses through the crowd, which is illegal. She's not supposed to touch anyone. She presses through the crowd and she touched the hem of his garment. And then it says, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said this, who touched me? Right? And everyone denied it. And Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng. The what? The multitudes throng and press you. So how many people were touching him? Everyone. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me. 
for I perceive power going out from me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter. See, when you touch Jesus and you surrender to Jesus, you become a child of God. You become a daughter. You become a son. He said, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And the Lord showed me something with this scripture. When Actually, when I was in Peru one time. And he said, many people can be around me. Many people can be following me and not encountering me. And so I think I actually put it as this. You can be in the presence of Jesus and following him, yet not encountering him. And Pastor Caleb said this a few times today. But where two or three are gathered in his name, he's in the midst. Every time we gather on a Sunday, every time we gather on a Wednesday, every time we gather in a home or for a meeting, Jesus is in the midst of us. He's here. He's here right now in this room. But how hungry are you? How humble are you to recognize your need for him? Do you want to encounter him today? Do you expect to encounter him today? If you could see Jesus in this room, what would you do? How would we respond? You know, in in the nations, when we do events, people have such a hunger and an expectancy. You know, two-thirds of the people that come to the crusade are brought by the local church because they know the needs of their friends and their neighbors, and they they expect God to show up, and they bring them, and then God wrecks their lives. But it's because they're hungry. They expect. And so maybe you're here today, and you've you've never recognized your need for Jesus. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and saying, hey, son, daughter, come home. You know, Jesus Christ himself came from heaven, was born as a baby, blows my mind, walks a sinless life, and dies the most gruesome death on the cross because that's, much, that's how much he loves you. Each and every one of you in here is so precious and valuable to God. And then he rose from death on the third day to, to new life. And he says, because I live, you can live. So if you're in here today, you need new life. You've never given your life to Jesus. All you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, meaning master of your life. No longer your life. His life purchased by the blood of Christ. And that you will follow him because he's Lord. You'll be saved. And you'll have new life today. And you could truly say you've encountered Jesus. And so I'm not even going to ask you to bow your heads. But I'm going to say if there's anyone in here right now that you know that's you. And you need to surrender your life to Jesus. The one who loves you more than anyone could love you. I want you to raise your hand right now if that's you. Anyone in here today need to give their life to Jesus. You need an encounter with Jesus. Praise God. I assume most of you have. If you are watching that online or listening to this later, if if you need to give your life to Jesus, just confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. 
Now my next part is, I think we're gonna have a time of ministry and encountering Jesus at the altar. And so what I wanna ask is if maybe during this message, you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit of offense you've been carrying around in your heart by a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe you've been one to agree with the accuser of the brethren and you've been critical of people in the body of Christ. And you're saying, I don't want to live that way anymore. I wanna surrender that to Jesus. God, forgive me. Let me see people how you see them. Fill my heart with love for others the way you love them, God. I come out of agreement with the enemy and into agreement with your love. And I want to walk in harmony and love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want you to be able to come to the altar and do that. And if maybe you're in here and you have felt like, man, I've been doing things in my own strength for so long and I feel like I've been so resisted and, and the grace is lifted from my life and I no longer have a desire, I no longer have the ability to do what I know I need to be doing, I need to go low. I want you to come to the altar and I want you to go low and say, Holy Spirit, humble me today. I give up my pride, I give up my selfish ambition, whatever you wanna do, God, I go low. And maybe you're here today and you, and you say, man, God, I have been living without realizing my desperate need for you. I need you, God. Come, Jesus, I can do nothing without you. And you just need a fresh touch from God. Give me a gift from hunger. I want you just to come. I want to hunger for you. I want to thirst for you, God. I want you to move in my life, God. I need more of you, Jesus. I don't want to be complacent anymore. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.